I love, love, love what God is doing among our kids and our students. Is that cool or what? Good morning, Northview. Hey, thanks for being here this weekend. I appreciate you sharing a part of your week with us. One of my uh, uh, guys on staff, Jason Pondgratz, absolutely loves donuts. And I said, is this just like what you imagine heaven to be? <laughs> that you come in church and it's donuts everywhere. <laughs> How many had your donut? Oh, come on. I, I rebuked one of them. I said, do you realize how you're tempting me? You're putting temptation in my life. It's really good to have all of you guys here today. It's going to be an exciting weekend, and I'm so glad that every one of you are here. You know, I'm always taken back by the stories in the Old and the New Testament, stories of men and women who have messed up. They've messed up just like you and I have. And yet when they demonstrated faith, God used them in spite of their mistakes. I mean, Moses, I could give you a lot of examples, but Moses is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised to be the next Pharaoh, and he messes up, and he kills a man who's abusing an Israelite slave. Well, he, has, he ends up, he has to flee for his life, and he ends up on the backside of a desert tending sheep. One day he's out and he sees a bush that is burning but not being consumed, and so he makes his way over out of curiosity to see what's going on. And God speaks to him through that bush. He tells Moses that he wants him to deliver the Israelites from slavery. See, at the time there were over two million plus Jewish people that had been in bondage for over 400 years. And God says, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they might worship me. Well, Moses, who is now struggling with a self-confidence issue, can't believe that God would ask him to do anything. And he says to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh? And God then asked him a very unusual question. He said, Moses, what's that in your hand? What's that object that you have such a tight grip on? While it was only a wooden staff, it was his staff. And God says, I want you to throw it down. In other words, I want you to let go of it, Moses. I want you to trust me with it. So Moses throws down his staff and God turns it into a snake. God took a dead piece of wood and he gave it life. Friends, my question for you today is God asking you to do a similar thing. What's that in your hand? What is it that you're holding so tightly to? And God's saying, I want you to let it go. I want you to trust me with your possessions. I want, I want you to give me your first, and I want you to give me your best. Listen, guys, God will never ask you to give what you don't have, but at the same time, he can't use what you won't give. For the past 42 years, the good people of Northview have demonstrated such amazing faith. They've laid down their staff They've trusted God with what they held in their hand, and because of their faith, we've seen him do some amazing things. But friends, please hear me today. God's not done. There is still so much more that he wants us to accomplish as a church. There's still so much more that God wants to do in your life as well. Well, today is our final message in this five-week generosity initiative that we've been involved with called First Before All Things. And today, as you've already heard, is our commitment weekend. And if you're our guest today, I think you picked an amazing day to come because you're about to witness a historic move of God in our church. 
You'll quickly see, my friends, that we are a church that's not content with being comfortable. We are a church that's not content with being complacent. We wanna take bold steps of faith demonstrated by bold generosity as we declare that Jesus Christ is absolutely first in our life, that he is absolutely before all things. So as I get started today, I want us to pray But the first thing I want you to do, if you would, is to grab a card. Some of you brought your commitment card with you. If you didn't, there's one on the card on the seat behind you. Uh, You might be leaning on it, but there's a card there. If you just grab the card, and I want you to, if you're by yourself today, just take a hold of this card as I pray. If you're with your spouse, you might ask your spouse to grab a hold of it with you as I pray. And we're gonna pray together. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness. I thank you for who you are and all that you do in our life. God, we want you to be preeminent in our life. We want you to work in us and we want you to work through us. We wanna be courageous and God, we wanna be bold. Tell us, God, tell us exactly what it is that you want us to do and we want to be obedient. I thank you, God, for your patience. I thank you for your long suffering. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and have a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. I'm grateful, God, not only for what you do in our church, but God, I'm grateful for what you do in churches all throughout central Indiana. I pray specifically today for Venture Church. I pray for that incredible congregation that you would bless them and use them. I'm thankful for their pastor, Stan Killebrew, and that, God, we could link arms together to make a difference throughout central Indiana. Thanks, God. We love you and we praise you. We just ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul ends the book of Colossians, the letter to Colossae, in chapter four by calling these new believers Guys, to the same kind of commitment that I'm challenging you to make today, a commitment that demonstrates and declares that Jesus is first in your life when it comes to your resources. Listen, friends, when you declare that God is first, you are saying, God, I trust you with everything I have in my hand. I trust you, God, with all of my possessions. Jesus, I give you my first and I give you my best. I've often heard it said that nothing will shape our life more than the commitments we choose to make. Friends, I would ask you, what are you committed to when it comes to your relationship with God? And yet I know to put your trust in God can absolutely be scary. To walk in faith can be intimidating. But guys, listen to me, God is not trying to embarrass you, God's not trying to make a fool out of you, he's not trying to create a hardship in your life. Friends, God will never ask you to do anything that he won't provide a way for you to carry it out. He just wants you to trust him. And that's what Paul's trying to communicate to these believers, these young believers in Colossae. And when I talk about making God, for the last five weeks, when we've talked about making God a priority in your life, I don't mean that he should be first on a list of priorities. As I've said, if I said to you, how many of you would you say that God's important in your life? Probably every hand would go up. But guys, I'm not asking if God's important to you, I'm asking if he's preeminent. I'm not asking if he is a priority in your life, I'm asking if he is the priority of your life. And so when I'm, what I'm talking about, he's not just the top priority, he's the paper that our priorities are written on. 
He's what life is all about. And when that soaks in, when you really get a hold of that, it will be one of those spiritual aha moments where it's like, oh my gosh, I get it. I understand it. Again, and I've said this every week, Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek ye first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. Jesus said, if you'll just put me first, if you'll just make me preeminent, you don't need to worry about anything else. I'll take care of it. Jesus needs to be preeminent before everything in our lives. We saw last week in chapter three, verse three, he said, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul says, now that you're a believer, now that you're a follower of Christ, you have a new life. You have died to sin. You have died to your old life. You have died to the world's way of living. Therefore, with the spirits empowering you, you need to conduct yourself in a way that demonstrates to the people in your world that demonstrates that Christ is absolutely first in your life. Listen to me, guys. The Bible calls us to more than this. Please hear me. The Bible calls us to more than this haphazard, half-hearted, indifferent effort that we oftentimes demonstrate as Christians. It's like you're going to church, I don't know. Boy, we'd love you to serve. I don't have time to serve. That, that haphazard, half-hearted, indifferent attitude it's just not what Christ was looking for in his relationship with you. The Bible teaches that to be in Christ is to be a new creation, that we are to act and to live accordingly. Last week, if you were here, Paul gave us some counsel on the way we should relate to one another in various roles of our life. In other words, parents with their kids, kids with their parents, with our employer, and so on and so forth. Today, in this final chapter, he gives us some really practical applications for our daily living. In other words, we all need to apply these things to our daily lives. So let's jump in it. We're in chapter four. We'll start with verse two. And he starts right out and says, devote yourself. <clears throat> That's pretty heavy-duty commitment, isn't it? Devote yourself is a huge step of faith. Devoting yourself is something that you are focused on and it's intentional. Devote yourselves to what? To prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, Paul says, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So the first thing that Paul calls them to is prayer. In fact, he says what? He says you need to devote yourself to prayer, which implies this unrelenting persistence. It's the opposite of hit and miss. It's not the idea, well, you know, I may, I may pray this morning, or now there's a crisis in my life, so I'm gonna pray, or Maybe I'll pray on Wednesday or, you know, it's just haphazard, hit and miss. Prayer needs to be something we're intentional about. It is that important in our lives. We need to be focused on it, that every morning I start my day with prayer, or whatever it may be, I end my day with prayer, that there are designated times in your life where you pray. I, I just don't think I can overstate the importance of prayer in our life. And to really understand the heart of God or to understand the mind of Christ, you gotta spend time with him in prayer. How in the world can you think you really know God if you don't ever talk to him? How can you think you really know the mind of Christ or the heart of our Father if you don't ever communicate with him? 
S.D. Gordon once wrote this, I love it. He says, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is pray. And it's not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of earth are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean those people who actually take time to pray. Friends, listen to me, there is no way to make, guys hear me, there is no way to make God preeminent in your life if you never talk to him. Then he says, being watchful and thankful being watchful and thankful. In other words, to be watchful means what? It means to keep your eyes open for opportunities to share Christ. It's like, in other words, always being on the guard, always watching for what God is gonna do in my life, always conducting yourself in a way that honors God. Friends, we need to be ambassadors. We need to be representatives for Christ by the way we live because I will promise you that people are watching. If you profess to be a Christian, if the people you work with know you're a believer, they're watching. You may, not, you may not know that, but they're watching. If the people in your neighborhood know that you profess to be a believer, I promise you, they are watching. You know, you're, the, the, the parents on your kids' sports teams, they're watching. I promise you. And then he says we should be thankful. Always demonstrating, in other words, a heart of gratitude. Thankful for what? Well, thankful, first of all, that God answers prayer. What an amazing privilege I have that I can come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and I can tell him my request. I can tell him my needs. So I need to always have a heart of gratitude for the privilege of prayer and the fact that God answers my prayer. Thankful that God has blessed me in so many different ways. And we need to express that gratitude to God as well as to others. So it's like, you know, if I'm going to pray, what am I going to pray about? First of all, I'm just going to spend some time thanking God for all that he's done. Everything I have belongs to God. I am a blessed individual. So I'm going to thank God for that and demonstrate some gratitude towards him. Well, the same thing, I just think God wants his people to be a people of gratitude, that we're constantly expressing gratitude to the people in our world, to the people in our life. Paul then went on to say, and hey, by the way, as long as we're on the subject of prayer, Paul says, I need you to pray for us. Paul's instructing us how important prayer is, and he says, by the way, I could use some of that. Guys, asking for prayer is a sign of spiritual growth. Did you know that? Asking for prayer is a sign of spiritual growth. It's one thing to pray for somebody. I had several people come up uh, after the service and say, would you pray for me? It's not a big deal to pray for them. You know what's a big deal? For me to turn to somebody else and say, hey, would you pray for me? I have a need. It's humbling. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign that I can't do this on my own. I, I, I need God, first of all, and I need other believers to come around me because I'm hurting or I'm struggling or I'm going through an issue in my life. So asking for prayer is an important step in our spiritual growth and our spiritual journey. Specifically, Paul wanted them to pray that God would open a door for the message, or in other words, an opportunity to present the gospel. Now remember, Paul wrote these, listen, he wrote these words while he was under house arrest in Rome. Being in, being in prison gave him ample opportunity to share the gospel with other inmates, of course, as well as the soldiers who were assigned to guard him. And I want you to notice, 
in Paul's request that he doesn't ask for prayers for his release. That's what you'd think he would ask, right? I mean, he's in prison. He's in prison for goodness sakes. I would think he would say, guys, could you just pray I'd get out of here? Please, just pray that I get out, that I get an early release. But that's not what he asked. You, you would think that he would pray for better food, but he doesn't. Or better sleeping conditions, but he doesn't. He simply wants more opportunities to preach the gospel. Guys, listen to me, please. When God is preeminent in your life, you just want to reach others that are far from him. You just want to reach those that are far from Christ. That's what really matters to you. He asked them to pray for more doors to be open and that he would proclaim it clearly so that people understood the gospel message. In other words, praying for me to have opportunities, Paul says. Pray that I would speak the gospel with clarity so that they would understand exactly what my message is. I want them to get it. I want them to understand it. It reminds me of the pastor who had a five-year-old daughter and this little girl noticed that every time her father got up behind the pulpit to preach, that before he preached, he would bow his head and he would say a quick prayer. So one day after the service, she asked her father, she said, Daddy, why do you bow your head right before you speak? Then he said, well, I'm asking, I'm asking God to help me preach a good sermon that day. The little girl kind of looked downcast and said, well, then why doesn't God answer your prayer? Guys, by, by this point in Paul's life, think with me, by this point in Paul's life, he had accomplished a lot. I mean, he'd been on several missionary journeys. He'd started almost every one of the New Testament churches. He'd spent a lot of time in prison. He'd testified before a lot of Roman rulers. For goodness sakes, if there was anyone that deserved a break, I would have thought that it would have been Paul, wouldn't you? And yet here he is, he's still asking them to pray that God would give him more opportunities. Well guys, I'm just saying, it's kind of the same thing with our church. Throughout the, first, throughout the last 42 years, we've accomplished a lot. And that's a wonderful thing. And we've celebrated along the way and we'll continue to celebrate all that God has done and is doing. But God's not finished with us yet. We're trying to reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel message here at home and around the globe. If you've been at Northview very long, you've heard me say this over and over again, but guys will do anything short of sin to reach those that are far from Christ. So like Paul, we wanna continue to demonstrate bold faith when it comes to reaching those that are far from God. I also want you to notice that statement where he said, for which I am in chains for which I am in chains. You see, Paul believed that God had put him in prison for divine purpose. Now think about that. The Apostle Paul was in prison not because he broke a law. The Apostle Paul was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And they had continually warned Paul on several occasions to stop preaching Jesus, and he refused. He just kept preaching the gospel, and therefore they threw him in prison. And Paul didn't feel like that was an accident. Paul felt like that was divine appointment, and God had him there for a purpose, which is why he's asking these believers at Colossae to pray that he doesn't waste the opportunity. You know, most of us complain about the change that we have in our life. But Paul saw his imprisonment as divine opportunity from God. So guys, think about it. What chains do you have right now? What's going on in your life right now? What circumstances weighing you down right now? 
And how can you use that situation for God's glory? Good or bad, how can you use it as an opportunity that God has put in your way? As an opportunity to be a light in a dark world. Maybe you're sick and and yet you live in a way that demonstrates you have a hope that goes beyond your physical problems. Maybe you didn't get that job that you just applied for, but you show your friends that you're okay because your identity is not wrapped up in that position. And yet, guys, please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say to you today. I'm not saying that God has caused your situation. I don't believe that's true. I'm just saying that he wants to use it to demonstrate, listen, he wants to use it to demonstrate the hope that's found in Christ. It's what Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28. We've looked at that many times before. And then Paul writes, he says, and we know, we don't hope, we don't wonder, we know with great certainty. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is probably one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the New Testament. Why? Because oftentimes we look at that verse and we say, do you see there God promised that everything's gonna be good? That's not what that verse says. What that verse says is that God is gonna take this bad circumstance and this bad situation, and if we'll only trust him, he promises that he's gonna cause them to work together for our good. So I may not like what's going on here, and I may not like what's going on there, but when I trust God, I know for certain God's gonna work this out and use it somehow. I'm also not saying that your chains in life are always negative. For instance, maybe you were promoted to a place of influence. How are you gonna use your new position to honor God? Maybe God has, I don't know, maybe God has prospered you and he has blessed you financially, and praise God for that. But God doesn't always bless us to increase our standard of living. Sometimes it's to increase our standard of giving. So have you asked God why? I mean, seriously, if you've been prospered or blessed financially, have you stopped to say, God, why have you trusted me? This all belongs to you. Why have you trusted me? Why have you enriched me? And then have you asked him how? How can I be faithful with that which you've trusted me with? Guys, do you understand that most of this is a mindset? In other words, most of this is how we begin to see things. And so the question becomes, do we see our situation from a lower story or do we see it from the upper story, God's perspective? Do we see it from from a worldly perspective or do we see this from God's perspective? Because there is a tendency in our life to look at it from the lower story or a worldly perspective and we have to be intentional to say, no, I wanna see what God, I wanna see from God's perspective. I wanna understand what God is seeing right now. The upper story. I recently read about a uh, Christian man who was talking about preeminence. He was talking about this very thing and he said that most of his life he had accumulated accumulated a lot of wealth, and most of his life he assumed that all of his wealth would just pass on to his children. And he said, I would often wonder how much of their inheritance should I give to God? But he said, after I began to understand preeminence, he said, it really changed my perspective. He said, I began to understand that everything I have actually belongs to God, so his mentality changed from it belongs to it belongs to my family, how much can I give to God? All of a sudden now, he said, I realize it all belongs to God, 
How much does he want me to leave my kids? Does that make sense? I guess, I'm, again, I'm just trying to get you to see <clears throat> it's a change on how we see things. It's seeing it through God's lens, through God's eyes. And it's a major shift in our perspective of God's preeminence in our life. We can say that God is a priority in our life, but the bigger question, is he first? You see, that's why Paul is challenging us to examine ourselves. <laughs> Several places throughout the New Testament, Paul challenges us to examine ourselves. Why? Because so many times we're not seeing it from a right perspective. Guys, God doesn't do second because he's first. God doesn't do second because he's preeminent. When we finally understand that, it'll be a radical shift in how we think about our relationship with God. And yet I know, listen to me, I know there are others of you, you, you say, well, I'm not worried about abundance. I'm struggling here financially. And you don't feel like you're in a place that you can give a large gift to God. And guys, that's okay. It's okay. Because it's never, please hear me, guys, it's never been about the size of the gift. Some of you try to make it about the size of the gift. It's not. It's not about the size of the gift. It's about a heart issue. It's just about us making him preeminent. It's about us putting him first and giving him our best. Regardless where you are, regardless where you are financially, God just needs to be preeminent. It doesn't matter where you are on this spectrum, God just needs to be preeminent. And that's why you need to ask him, God, what is it you want me to do? I wanna to acknowledge to you that it all belongs to you, and then I just wanna be obedient and trust you. But honestly, for most of us in this room, we're somewhere in the middle. The majority of us in this room are somewhere between struggling financially and having an abundance. While you may not be worried about how to make ends meet, you're also not sitting on a whole lot of excess. And that's my point. Regardless where you are financially, you need to ask God if what you're giving him today represents your first and your best. That's the question. David said, I will not give to God. Remember, we looked at this. David wanted to buy a field from Arana, and Arana said, I'll just give you the field. And David said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna pay you for this field because this is for God. And since it's for God, I want it to cost me something. I want it to be a sacrifice. There's, things that, there's always things that we can do to make this a sacrificial gift. It could mean maybe delaying a purchase. It could mean maybe buying a used car instead of a new one. It could mean downsizing a home. I don't know, there's so many ideas. It might also mean stretching towards a faith call that God puts on your heart. That's what Sandy and I have done. Guys, again, regardless of our circumstance, we just need to make God preeminent in our life. Do you remember the, new, the uh, old story of uh, Cain and Abel in the Old Testament, Genesis? Cain and Abel were the two sons of Adam and Eve, and and you talk about sibling rivalry. This, they had sibling rivalry. Cain ends up killing his brother Abel. The entire conflict actually started, without going into the details of the story, the actual conflict started when both boys made an offering to God. But God rejected, listen, God rejected Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's. And you hear that and you think, well, why is that? Well, the scripture doesn't actually tell us, but it does give us some hints. For instance, we know that Abel was a shepherd who gave to God his first and the best out of his livestock. 
Now, I'm not sure how much you know about livestock, but Abel essentially, if we were to look at it in today's terminology, in today's world, I would say that Abel essentially had a commission-based job. And I know that there are some of you in that world, in that realm. You would say, Steve, I can't put anything down on this commitment card because I, I work on commission. And so therefore, I'm not always sure what each paycheck is gonna be. This week it's gonna be different probably the next week. So I, I can't make a commitment. And I guess my question to you today would be, well then how did you buy a house? I mean, did you just tell the bank, hey, I'm sorry, I can't commit to a number on my mortgage payment because I live on commission. Maybe I can just, you know, when I get a commission check, maybe I can just give you 15% of whatever comes in. Well, that loan officer is gonna say, no, I don't think so. I need you to commit to this mortgage. I need you to commit to a number or else you can't buy the house. Why? Does the banker require you to commit to an amount? Because they want it to be a priority for you. They don't want it to be based on your circumstance, but they want it to be prioritized regardless of the situation you're in. Listen, when Abel gave the first and fattest of his flock, he didn't know if the rest of the flock was gonna get stolen. He didn't know if it was gonna end up being diseased. He didn't know what was gonna happen. And yet still, the scripture makes it clear that he gave God his first and his best. Cain, his brother, on the other hand, was a farmer, and he gave God an offering from his crops. But he did it, it says, at the end of the season. In fact, most translations say he did it over the course of time, is the way they word it. He did it over the course of time. So obviously, it just was not a priority for him. It was only after he had paid all of his bills, he took out what he needed to live on, and then he gave God an offering. And we also don't know, let me throw this in, <clears throat> we also don't know if the amount that Cain gave was a larger percentage than what Abel gave. We don't know that. But you know what, it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter because it's never been about the money. It's never been about the amount we give. It's always been about our heart. God was pleased with Abel, listen to me, God was pleased with Abel because he made God first with his generosity, while Cain gave out of his leftovers. You can read all about this in Genesis chapter four. And it tells us, in Genesis chapter four, it tells us that the Lord God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Guys, listen, some of us approach our giving like Cain without even realizing it. Now, I, don't, I don't mean this is a big negative, but hear me through. We'll say things like, honey, let's take a look at this commitment card. What can we afford to do? Now, you think that's a normal question, and it's certainly better than not asking a question at all, but let's look at this commitment card. What can we afford to do? But guys, that's a cane question. That's a leftover question. On the other hand, what I'm trying to get across is an is, listen, an able question will be, God, you know me, and you know our situation. What can we give that will truly represent that everything we have is yours? What can we truly give that will represent that all things are by you, to you, through you, and for you? And that you are truly before all things in our life. Abel gave to God the firstborn of his sheep. Even before he paid his bills and took care of his own needs, he gave to God first. 
And God accepted Abel's offerings. But then it says rejected Cain's. Friends, can you see how important it is that we give God our first? Again, not first in order, but to give God first priority in our life. Let's go back to the book of Colossians. The second thing that Paul instructs them to do that we already read was uh, act wisely. And in verse five, he said, verse five, he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Paul continues to talk about how important it is that we use wisdom and how we treat the unchurched. We should conduct ourselves in a way that attracts and convicts those who are far from God. Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. People are watching. You say, well, that's not right. I don't know that it's not right. You profess to be different. You profess to have surrendered your life to Christ, that your life has been transformed and changed. Our life should be different. But we need to pay attention on how we conduct ourselves. He said, make the most of every opportunity. Guys, I believe God will daily, listen to me, I believe God will daily give you opportunities. I talk to people oftentimes and they'll say, you know, Steve, I, God never gives me any opportunities. I keep waiting for those opportunities to be a light in a dark world and I never get those opportunities. You're just not watching. I promise you they're there every single day. It might be with your family. It might be with your next door neighbors, your coworkers or the people, with the people you rub shoulders with in the marketplace. But if you're not looking for those opportunities, you'll miss them every time. It might be something... Guys, listen, sometimes we try to complicate it. It might be something as simple as a kind word. It might be something as simple as doing a kind deed or just listening, just simply listening to someone who needs to talk, someone that's struggling, whatever it might be. If you're not looking for it, you'll miss it. In Acts chapter 13, it says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. I don't know about you, but I want that said about my life. When I pass from this world, I want my legacy to be Steve fulfilled his purpose in life. Steve was obedient to God. Don't you want that said about you? Don't, want your, don't you want your, your children? Don't you want your family members? Don't you want your friends to say, well, I can say this about Judy. I can say this about Tim. They fulfilled God's purpose in their life. God gave me opportunities, and I want to know that I was faithful to fulfill those opportunities that God brought my way. Guys, listen to me. Life goes so stinking fast. I I know that you feel the same as I do. It's like there are times somebody will talk about something, and I'm like, yeah, that was just a year ago. And they're like, oh, no, that was three years ago. It's like, you're kidding me. feels like it was just the other day. I mean, I feel like, guys, I feel like I woke up a new father, and the next morning I woke up a new grandfather. I mean, it's like, where in the world has the time gone? And I'm just saying to you guys, if you want your life to count, if you want to do something significant with your life, if you want to do something that really matters, what are you waiting for? Now is the time. You, you got to stop thinking about in the future, I want to do something that matters. In the future, I want to do something significant. Now is the time. Jesus kind of alludes to that in John's gospel when he says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus realized that he only, think about that, Jesus realized he only had a small window of opportunity to fulfill God's calling in his life. 
And his calling was to do what? His calling, he told us, was to carry out the work that his father had sent him to do. His calling was to do the will of the father that sent him. Well, the same thing was even true with Paul. He knew that he only had a small window of time and God wasn't done with him yet. Well, friends, hear me. The same is true for you and the same is true for me. The same is true for us as a church. God has done some amazing things at Northview and yet there's still, listen, there are still so many people that need to hear the gospel. Guys, if you're not dead, God's not done. I believe he put you here for a time such as this. I can tell you this much, Sandy and I, when it comes to this initiative, when it comes to moving forward with God's plan for the church, Sandy and I are all in. And I can tell you that CJ and Kristen are all in as well. And I've already shared with you a week or so ago that Sandy and I, we've, we've wrestled with it, we've struggled through, and we're giving the most significant gift that we have ever given to anything in our lives before. And yet, even though it's a bit intimidating to us, it's a bit scary to us, we're excited to see what God's gonna do in the next two years, because God God has always been faithful, and we know he'll be faithful again. So guys, my question then is what about you? What about you? Will you declare him first and give him your best?